If you have your Bibles and you would, open them or turn them on to 2 Samuel chapter 22. And as you're finding that, I have a card that I'd like to read this morning. To our 10 Mile family, we appreciate the many thoughts and prayers during our time of loss of my father, John Healy. Your text messages, phone calls, and prayers were a comforting reminder of your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We were so very thankful for the support at his service and for the preparation of the after-service meal. God bless you all sincerely, the Healy family. So continue to pray for them in their time of loss. Uh, Last week we started a sermon series on our, our battles belong to the Lord. And we looked in chapter 21 about how David was facing some giants. And as he battled these giants, he became weary. Weary to the point where he could not fight on his own, and God brought others in to help him. And we looked at how whatever battles you're facing, whether spiritually, whether emotionally, whether physically that the Lord is the one who fights those battles for us. And each of us today probably is facing different things. And sometimes we will look at our lives and say, well, my battles seem overwhelming. Other times we look at our battles and we say, you know, they're not as bad as they could be. But really when we look at David's life, none of us really understand quite what it was like for what David. If you remember, David became a fugitive. He was brought into the royal family because he killed Goliath. But the same man who brought him into the royal family to marry his daughter turned on him and tried to murder him multiple times. King David was not just an outlaw from Saul. He was an outlaw from the entire government. And so if you've ever watched a spy movie where a spy gets burnt, he goes on the run, everyone's trying to get him. That would have been what David had went through. David lived in caves. He lived in foreign countries. They tried to murder him. At one point, his own wife, who was King Saul's daughter, had to sneak him out of the house because her own father was coming to murder him. And so David has been through so much. But don't forget, David has also had children die. King David has also had his children murdered. King David has went through all of this stuff, all of these struggles, all of these battles... And when we come to chapter 22, David has finally been delivered. God has finally defeated his enemies. And David begins to tell us what God is like. And today, if you are not in the valley, you have probably been in the valley. If you've never been in the valley, there is at some point in your life something going to happen. Whether someone's going to betray you, You're going to make a mistake that you don't think you can be forgiven for. You're going to hear a doctor's report that has rocked you to the core. You're going to lose a loved one. And in those moments, hopefully a sermon like this will be reminding you and will be called to your remembrance of who God is. In Psalms 18, it is almost the identical writing to what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And in verses 1 through 3, I want to read those with you today. And if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. In Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, I will love you, O Lord, 
my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Pray with me if you would. Father, we come to you today, Lord, knowing that uh, Lord, you love us and that you care about us. And Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture today, Lord, you know that I cannot add anything to it. Lord, that there is nothing I can do of any value other than share what your word says. And so, Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would move and work in hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of any sin in my life that would grieve or quench your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we look at this text today, it really is about facing the battles of other people. When other people are out to get us. But we can apply it to every battle that we face. Whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it is internal, whether it is external. The battles that we face, who do we turn to? Who are we putting our trust in? And in this chapter, starting in verses 1 through 4, if you're taking notes, it says that God deserves the praise as our deliverer. God deserves the praise as our deliverer. Look here in verses 1 through 4. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. What happened is David's just giving a testimony for how good God has been to him and what God has done in his life. And David says, in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of my betrayals, in the midst of my anger and struggle and pain, God was the one who took care of me. Look at all of the things he says, rock and fortress, the strength, deliverer, salvation, shield, refuge. David wants you to know that whatever you are going through, whatever you are facing, that a man is not the answer. A, 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 a counselor is not the only answer. A doctor is not the answer. A, a friend is not the answer. The Lord is the one who can get you through whatever you're facing. The Lord is the one who can give you a special touch. The Lord is the one who can clear your paths and straighten the curves that you're facing. Now, I think this is something that I struggle with. Uh, growing up in church, as many of you did, uh, I saw a lot of testimony services. And uh, a lot of times, uh, I think this has damaged me. Because the same people that would be testifying about, oh, I love my wife, or God has done this, had kids the same age that I was. And we would leave church, and those same kids whose parents were doing that would say, that's not how they are at home. <laughs> they might talk about how good God is about mom and dad, but they fight non Stop. 
And so as an adult, I, am, I struggle with testimony. I struggle with giving God praise publicly. Now, that might not be you. You might have never had that experience. But I would much rather talk about the negative than the positive. Because if you don't know this or not, if you have children, they will take whatever you do at home, good or bad, and they will share it with our Sunday school class. Or they will share it with the kids at school. Or they will share it with their... It's just how kids are. And so you can stand up in front of everybody and, and talk about how wonderful things are and how amazing things are. But I can tell you that people who know your kids know the truth. And so this is something I struggle with. But what David wants you to know is that when God is in your life and God has carried you through something and God has been with you, do not be afraid to give Him the credit and to give Him the praise. But you say, well, Jake, I've not made it through yet. Right? I'm still dealing with this betrayal. I'm still dealing with this struggle. I'm still dealing with this pain. What David wants you to see is know where to turn to. Know who to rely on. Know who to put your faith and trust in. And it is the Lord. Galatians, the fifth chapter, says it like this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul says the greatest delivery that God ever did was when He delivered you from sin. When God saved you, when God died for you, when God rose for you, when you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, and He forgave you for all of your sins and set you free, he says when that happened, don't go back to the way it was. Don't look back to how things used to be. Know that if God has set you free, you are free indeed. Second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is that God works in many ways to deliver His people. God works in many ways to deliver His people. We're going to read quite a bit of this here, but I want you to see the significance of this. When the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. Just stop right there. He is saying that the situation was totally hopeless. There was no earthly fix for his problem. There was no earthly way to overcome what he faced. And in that moment, he didn't go to Facebook to share his everyday garbage. He didn't go to the McDonald's and tell all the old people about how bad things were. When everything fell apart around King David, he said, I went to the Lord. The Lord is where I cried out to. The Lord is who I prayed to. And look at these next verses, this next words here. He heard my voice from his temple. David says, when I had nowhere else to turn, I turned to the Lord and he heard me. One of the most frustrating things that I have found in, in my marriage uh, is me. Let's be honest. But uh, is the people in my home that have cell phones refuse to answer them when I call. And uh, it is something that just drives me Crazy. It is probably one of the things we fight about the most because now that there are two people in my home that have phones, I figure I'll call one 
and then I call the other. And if they don't answer, I go back to the first one, and then the second one, and the first one, and the second one. And uh, it's just something that, uh, for me, personally, is frustrating. But yet David says, when it really matters, and you don't know who to turn to, and you don't know what to do, if you will cry out to the Lord, He will hear you. But look what it goes on in that same verse and says, And my cry entered His ears. Now this didn't mean much to me for most of my life, but about two years ago when I lost the hearing in one ear and had the ringing and the dizziness and the confusion, I now struggle with anxiety when I talk to anybody. If I talk to you in a conversation, I can promise you when I leave, I am going to be worried about that conversation. Because one, I probably missed half of it, okay? And so I was probably going like this, not knowing what I was going like that too. And two, if you don't know what you hear, you say some extremely stupid things. More so than I used to say. And so every time I leave a conversation, I'm thinking, did I say that? Did I hear that right? Did I apply that right? What did I say? You know, and so it's something I struggle with to the point that I don't even go to a lot of my own kids' ball games anymore because uh, in the gym and things like that. And so, but yet what God is saying, not only does he hear it, not only is it just noise to him, but that it sinks in. Because if you're a parent, you know that you can be around your kids, you can hear what they're saying, but not be listening. Let's just be honest. Right, it's chaos, it's loud, it's confusing. And when we think about God, that's sometimes how we think it must be for Him. A whole world full of people praying. Why would God listen to my request? It seems so insignificant. But what He wants you to see from this is, is when you pray, and especially when you pray in those moments in your life that seem the most difficult, that seem the most broken, that seem the most lonely, that God not only hears you, but that it sinks in. That He knows every request that you've made. He knows every tear that you've shed. He knows every fear that you are facing. And now look at His response. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because He was angry. I want to stop right there. What this teaches us is this. David was a child of God. And what happened is people were attacking the child of God. Christian, I want to warn you about ever attacking another child of God. Be very careful in how you treat other believers. Because David was being persecuted. David reached out to God in prayer and looked to God's answer here. He was angry. God loves you with a jealous love. God will defend you with a jealous love. And so while that is great for us as believers that God fights for us, that God wants to hear from us, that God is angry on our behalf when we are wronged, but never think about when we do it to others. It goes on in verse 9 and says, Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. 
He rode upon the cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and He vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, and the blast of the breath of His nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for those were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out in a broad place. He delivered me because He delighted in me. What He is referencing here is all of the creative and power of God. Sometimes in David's life, God miraculously worked. But what he's really calling our attention to is the entirety of the Old Testament. He is saying that when God comes to fight for His children, and when God comes to fight on behalf of His own, all of the power that was in creation, all of the power that delivered the children of Israel, all the power that was evident when fire fell from heaven, all of the power and the mighty works that God did in the Old Testament, when God came and fought for David, He brought all of it with Him. And friends, when God fights for you, it is the same. God doesn't come to your battles with both hands tied behind His back. God doesn't come weak and weary. What David is saying is, when God chooses to intervene, there is nothing or no one that can stop Him. And as God's people, when we face the problems of our life, the betrayals of our enemy, the betrayals of those that we consider friends, the health issues of our life, the emotional issues of our life, when we boldly approach the Lord in prayer, in humility and in respect, we need to expect that this is the God that shows up to our battle. This is the God that shows up to our situation. This is the God that fights for us. And that I have no fear because of who? Him. But most of us don't pray that way. We pray thinking the simple servant Jesus is going to show up who was nailed on the cross or the one that washed the disciples' feet. But yet David is showing us God in His fullness, in His power, in His authority, in the fact that He reigns over everything and He is in control. Paul writes this very same thing in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about what they've been through. And he says in chapters 1, verses 8 through 11, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. He says that what we faced was more than we could carry. It was more than we could accomplish. We wanted to die because it was so great. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. 
you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul says that the reason we went through what we went through was so that God could show all of you how good He is and the power that He has. And then he says, but also so that you were able to be a part of that by praying for us, by walking through this with us. And this is what I want to say today, and you have to make the decision for yourself. There are a couple reasons why things happen in our life that are battles. The first is this. We bring it among ourselves. No one ever walks into my office and says, you know what, Jake, I think this is my fault. It's always someone else's fault. It's always the spouse's fault. It's always their neighbor's fault. It's always their kid's fault. But sometimes you need to understand that what is going on in our life is because God is correcting us. There is pride. There is sin. There is something in our heart that God is trying to remove. Sometimes God is trying to do it because He's trying to teach us something. Whether it's patience, whether it's trusting Him more. But sometimes, like this, God allows us to go through things because He is trying to reach other people. Friends, I have pastored long enough to know that there are many people who are saved at a funeral. There are many people who are saved at the bedside of a dying loved one. And while none of us want that to be why we're used or how we're used, sometimes God knows that that's what it's going to take. I have had family members in my own family who rejected the gospel for decades, but yet were saved at a funeral. I have seen people who were hard-hearted and bitter and broken, but yet when they had a stroke and they realized their time on this earth was short, that they trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so what we have to recognize is that God works in many different ways. Third and final thing, and hopefully I'll be done quickly today, but please don't get your hopes up, all right? Who are the people that will experience God's deliverance? Who are the people who experience God's deliverance? Because the world would say God fights for everybody. God hears the prayers of everybody. God intervenes on behalf of everybody, but yet David teaches us something different. In verse 21, it starts here. In verse 21, it says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Now, I want you to stop right there because when I read this for the first time, about six to eight weeks ago, in preparing for this sermon, I thought, What? How could David write that? When you think of David, the first thing that probably comes to your mind, like mine is, is Bathsheba and Uriah. And then after that, I start thinking about, well, man, I think all kinds of things that David did were sinful and wicked and defied God. But yet David says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, I want you to follow with me or you'll miss this really significant truth. According to the cleanliness of my hands, He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His judgments were before me 
And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him. I'm thinking, what is going on here? And I kept myself from iniquity. Really? Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanliness in his eyes. Underline that if you write in your Bibles. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. Now just stop right there. David just spent seven verses talking about his purity, his integrity, his, he, the fact that he did not depart. And I finished that and, and thought, David's lost his mind. David's like a lot of us who think we don't sin, who think that we don't make mistakes, who think that we're the gift to the kingdom of God. But then in verse 28, it all makes sense. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Look there in verse 28. It talks about God's eyes. And in verse 25, and according to my cleanness in his eyes. David realized something that you and I need to realize. David was not viewing himself on how David viewed himself. He was viewing himself how God viewed him. Now don't miss this, because this is, this is the point of the whole sermon. David recognized something that we do in the New Testament. When we believe in Jesus Christ and we asked for His forgiveness, when we put our faith and trust in the mercy and grace of God, when God forgives us, and God makes us brand new, this is how God views us. In the New Testament, we know that the Bible says that when Jesus died for our sins, He took our punishment. And when I believe in Him as the Lord and Savior of my life, when God looks at me, He does not see my sin and my wickedness and my wretchedness anymore. He sees what? The perfect righteousness of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. David realized something. That while his neighbors might still remember him as Bathsheba's lover, and while the neighbor down the street might remember him as Uriah's murderer. And the old men at the coffee shop might remember him as the dad who had one son did something to his daughter and another son murdered him. That when God saw David and God looked at David, none of that stuff mattered anymore because he had been forgiven. He had been made right in the eyes of God. And if you are here today, and you have been born again, if you have been brought into the family of God, your neighbors might remember who you were, your friends might bring up your past, but when God views you as His child, He has forgotten your sin. The Bible says He has forgotten it as far as the east is from the west. And what David says in verse 28 is, if I will humble myself before God, God will view me as made right. God will view me as forgiven. 
David saying, according to my cleanness in his eyes. When Jesus looks at you, all he sees is the blood that has covered your sins, that has forgiven you. Now, I know that you don't struggle with this because you're all super Christians. You all have wonderful testimonies. But for some of us who have a very checkered past, for some of us who were far from God, when I think about this, it brings me great joy. Because the number one way that Satan works on me, not you, but me, is to remind me of my past failures. To remind me of my past mistakes. To remind me of the way I used to be. And Satan's most effective tool on me is this simple truth. Jake, you just don't deserve it. You don't deserve the love of God. You don't deserve the forgiveness of God. You don't deserve to be used by God. And God usually uses some, or Satan usually uses the people in my life. Stubborn, hard-hearted people. But it's how he works on me. And so I end up forgetting that I am in Christ. I, I forget that my sins have all been washed away. And you might remember them. You might be able to bring them up. You might be able to throw them in my face. But when God views me, I'm his child. I have been made brand new. I have been forgiven. And what David says here is this truth that David is saying the children of God are who God fights for. The children of God are who God shows up for. And today if you know Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, not only have you been set free from your sin, that when He views you, He views you in a way of love and mercy and grace, not judgment. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says it like this, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. But he says if you won't humble yourself, God is going to view you, but He's going to view you with all of your sin, all of your shame. That's why the Bible teaches there's only one way to be saved, and His name is Jesus. I heard Alistair Begg talking about this week, and if you've never listened to him, I highly recommend it. He said, so many times we argue about what it takes to get to heaven. Do you have to be a Baptist? Do you have to be a Catholic? Do you have to be a Methodist? Do you have to be a Lutheran? Do you have to be baptized? Do you have to be a member of a church? Do you have to go to Sunday school? Do you have to take the Lord's Supper? Do you have to give? Do you not have to give? But he said, when you think about the thief on the cross... Think about what he would have said when he got to heaven. The man on the middle cross said, I could be here. The man on the middle cross said, I could be here. And friends, what Jesus says about you is all that matters. He either says you're forgiven. He either says you're accepted. He either says you've been made brand new or not. And so what we see David is recognized through all of his life, the ups and the down, the good and the bad, the highs and the low is, that if I will humble myself and ask for the forgiveness and mercy of God, I'll receive it. And I think it's important to see this because he just went on for 14 verses about how powerful and amazing and wonderful the power of God is. And he says that is all been given for us.
to fight for us, to defend us. Now, before we close, some ends are thinking, well, wait a second, Jake, I'm facing some battles and I don't feel like God has fought them in the way that I wanted Him to. Or, Jake, I don't understand why people are slandering me and God's not stopped it. I don't understand why I'm fighting this physical battle and I've not been healed. Well, sometimes God works in one of two ways. In the book of Acts chapter 7, there was a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a man who loved God. He was called by God. He was used by God. And God allows him to stand up and preach a sermon to some religious hypocrites. And he preaches about their sin, about their wickedness, about their being evil. And listen to what happens in response to that in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Just stop there. Because most of us would think Jesus has stood up. He's ready to come deliver Satan or Stephen. He's ready to come fight for him. He's ready to come solve his earthly problems. But it goes on and says, The witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, God's answer to his prayer was, come on home. I'm bringing you with me. I'm not coming down to destroy these men because you've asked me to forgive them. Don't charge this on their account. But yet in Acts chapter 14, Paul, the same man that was just standing here watching them stone him at Saul, listen to what happened to him. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Two men who both loved God. Two men who were both preaching the good news of Jesus. Who faced the same opposition, but yet one was given more time, and the other was not. Today, if you feel like you are going through a battle, and you would like for it to end, but it hasn't, do not believe Satan's lie that God has abandoned you. Maybe today you're going through something and you've been praying about something and your prodigal child has not came back to the Lord, but your neighbor has. And you're sitting here saying, God, why are their prayers being answered? Why are their battles being fought, but mine aren't? 
Maybe you're trying to be the godly husband and parent that you know the Bible tells you to be, but yet your family is falling apart, your marriage is struggling, but yet that person that lives next door to you, who's a part-time Christian who lives like the devil through the week, their children seem to be obeying, and you're saying, God, why are you fighting their battle for them and not fighting my battle for me? Do not believe the lie when Satan tells you that God is not involved. David tells us no matter what goes on in your life, whether you're in the cave or whether you are wearing the crown, whether you are the most popular person in the kingdom or if you have been passed over by everyone, whether everything seems as it should be or there seems to be no way that things can get worse, remember that God has not changed, that God has not abandoned you, and that God is able to to fight for you. So what does that mean? First and foremost, if you are here today and you are trusting in any other way to get to heaven other than Jesus, there is no other way. There is no baptism. There is no Lord's Supper. There is no church membership that can get you to heaven. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That means today if you are under conviction, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, you know that you are a sinner but yet you believe that Jesus died upon the cross, you believe that He loves you, then friends, today you can be saved. If you'll just repent of your sins, call upon His name and ask Him to forgive you of all your sin. For you believer today, what does that mean for you? It means one, if God's been with you, you ought to spend some time thanking Him for how good He's been to you. Thankful for the blessings that you have. Or finally, if you're here today and you are facing great battles, whether emotional, physical, or spiritual, today I want you to know that this pastor is not the answer to your problems. And this church is not the answer to your problems. The Lord is. And the Lord is waiting to hear from you. And the Lord is willing to listen to you. And the Lord is willing to fight for you, even if it doesn't look like how you think He should fight. Trust Him in the middle of the storm. Father, we thank You so much for Your love for us. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I do not know what everybody is facing. I don't know what everyone is going through. But Lord, years ago, when we started these books, You knew that this is where we would be on this Sunday. And so Lord, if it's a first-time guest, a long-time member, God, I pray today that what they have heard has been for them, and they know it comes from them and not me. Father, today I pray that you would work in this place today through the saving of the lost, through the encouraging of the saint, or God just reminding us of how good you have been to us. Lord, during this time of invitation, we pray that you would give us the freedom to worship you, to call upon you, to bring our request to you, Lord, with no judgment, no fear, and full assurance that you will hear from heaven and work. And Lord, thank you for the wonderful privilege of being here today. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.